Good morning. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be here. I don't want to be anywhere else. But with you this morning, considering God's sufficient, powerful word. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. This morning we have a rather lengthy portion of Scripture, beginning in verse 6 through verse 25. So I will not be reading the entire section, but I will read the beginning verses, verses 6 through 8, just so that we can get some of the context. Actually, let's begin in verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. And then consider verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And go to verse 12. But when they believed... Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. That's all we'll read this morning, but we'll cover all of it. So here's a a question for you. Um, Feels a little dark in here, doesn't it? Or is it just me? Okay, doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't know why I asked that. <laughs> Not the right time, Jonathan. <laughs> why? Why preach? There you go. I knew I was right. Why preach Christ? That is the question for this morning. And if you have the notes, uh, you know what the sermon is about. Why preach Christ? Where is the relevancy of the gospel we preach? But let me be a, a little more relatable to our present circumstances. In a society that insists that the only way for us to get along as a nation is by making unwarranted and unfair assumptions about everyone who looks different from me, as critical race theory would have us think, why preach Christ? In a society that wants us to believe that joy and fulfillment are found in what some have called expressive individualism, why preach Christ? In a society that seeks to exalt every kind of vice and evil by telling us to be happy and content living in the darkness of personal and subjective feelings and preferences, why preach Christ? In a society that is bent on dividing everything it touches in every single possible realm or issue and create unending conflict. Why preach Christ? Why preach Christ to a highly moral society as well as to a highly immoral society? Why preach Christ to the highly educated as well as to the highly uneducated? Why preach Christ at all? When, why did Philip, when entering Samaria, 
preach Christ to them. Now, here's the answer in broad terms. We must preach Christ because God the Father has made him both Lord and Christ. Jesus is the name above every name, exalted above all things, with absolute and universal authority. This is the central point to everything in the world. You know why? Because the problem with the world is sin. And you know what sin is? Rebellion against the Lord Jesus is rebellion against the one whom God has exalted above all things, rebellion against the Son of Man, the one who is at God's right hand. Acts chapter 8, verses 6 through 25, shows us how the lordship of Jesus, once preached and believed, changes things. In our passage, we see a Samaria in chaos. Until Christ comes to that city through the faithful preaching of Philip, And he had one message for Samaria, Christ. And just like Philip, we have one message for the world, Christ. One name above every name. So we will see this morning four reasons why Christ must be our message for the world. We're not here to preach politics or morality or anything like that. We are here to preach a name. The name that is above every name, the name Jesus Christ. Next week, we'll see how. This morning, here's the first reason why we must preach Christ. Because Christ breaks impossible barriers. Christ breaks impossible barriers. Philip went to Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now, turn in your Bibles to the book of John chapter 4. The first time we see Christ entering Samaria was quite memorable. And we find the account in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and the woman at the well. And this is on page 888 in the Blue Bibles, if that's what you're using. Now, there's much we could glean out of this particular passage and this providential conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well in Samaria. But there's only one thing I want to point out to you. This is the one thing that exposes the complex history surrounding Samaria and why it seems so shocking that Philip would have even gone there to begin with. Look with me at verse 9 of John chapter 4. As Jesus spoke to her, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then it says this, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That loaded statement sums up the tremendous, tremendous friction that existed between Jews and Samaritans. Where did that come from? Well, the the roots of that hostility between Samaritans and Jews uh, had a long history going back several hundred years before Philip. After King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel uh, was divided. Samaria on the north and what on the south? Judah on the south and each with their respective kings. In the year 722 BC, Assyria invaded the northern kingdom of Samaria. Subsequently, the Assyrians forced the Israelites of Samaria to relocate to other nations, while at the same time they forced foreigners from other nations to come and relocate to Samaria. These events resulted in the intermarrying of Israelites and 
people from other nations. The offspring of this Jewish-Gentile union were the Samaritans. Thus, in the Jewish mind, this brought shame and disgrace upon Abraham's descendants. The Samaritans were impure, corrupt, a true disgrace. And as I said, the roots of these hostilities between Jews and Samaritans were very, very deep. deep. This is why the story of the good Samaritan would have been shocking for the Jew, Jewish audience to hear because you just don't put the words good and Samaritan in the same phrase. They don't go together. So if you think about it, historically speaking, and from a human point of view, this was a horrific situation, an insurmountable obstacle. The cultural divide between Jews and Samaritans was just too deep. Yet, as soon as persecution started in Jerusalem, what did Philip do? He goes straight to Samaria. Why? Because Philip understood this central truth of the gospel. Jesus is the exalted Lord, and he can transcend any cultural divide. How many of you have been to Chile? How many of you know anything about the Chilean culture? Haha, uh -huh, and yet there's a Chilean guy preaching to you this morning, huh? How does that work? Well, because Jesus transcends all cultural divides, and Philip knew this truth. Now, at this point, we must remember that there is a difference between Christ's first encounter with Samaria and Christ's second encounter with Samaria. In the first encounter, Christ came in person, and he interacted with just one woman. This was Christ in his pre-cross, pre-resurrection life. In his second encounter, however, it was the risen Christ, exalted above the heavens, who came to Samaria through the preaching of Philip and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, when we preach Christ to the world, we are preaching a message of cosmic power. Because when we preach the gospel, it is Christ himself who goes forth in the power of the Spirit, not morality, not politics. Christ himself goes forth in the power of the Spirit. We cannot miss this point for the following reason. Only the crucified and risen Christ can break a cultural barrier as deep as the one between Jews and Samaritans. Only Jesus can break down the wall that kept them apart. What is more, only Christ brings true equality. Only Christ brings true equality. In fact, here's a basic implication of the gospel. Here's the equality. Apart from Christ, we are all equally lost and deserving of hell. I just don't care what you look like. Apart from Christ, we are all equally lost and deserving of hell. But in Christ, we can all be equally forgiven and equally reconciled to God by his blood. Who you are and what you look like simply does not matter. At the end of the day, that's all we are, brothers and sisters. That's all we are. Sinners saved by grace given to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's all we are. 
sinners saved by grace given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's all we are and how we need to remember this message today more than ever before. Some of you, some of you, especially our young people, are getting ready to go into a world that is preaching a false gospel, a false gospel, the false gospel of critical race theory. It is a false gospel. That if you are a white person, you are horrible. You are horrible, and you need to do penance the rest of your life. Your purpose in life no longer matters. You just need to bow your head and be quiet. And if you are a non-white, you are owed something by every white person. Feel free to live your life, live your life feeling entitled, but always as a victim to independence of those with more power. That's the message. And it is a false gospel. I don't care who you are or what you look like. If you are a Christian, you must remember this. You are a sinner. You are a sinner and at one time condemned to eternal hell, but now saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you go to college and as you join the workforce, hold on to the true gospel. You are not the scum of the world. My young brother and my young sister in Christ, you are loved by the King of kings and you're loved by the Lord of lords. He died for you as a man. He rose again and he now rules sovereignly over you. This is the true gospel and this is the only gospel and this is all you need to know as you go into the world. So do you want to break down barriers? Do you want peace? Do you want to be an agent of peace? Then preach Christ. That's all you need to do to preach Christ, and whatever career path you choose, whatever work environment you end up in, do it with all your heart, as unto the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, your Lord, serve him. He is our Lord, and he died for us, and he's king over all things. Don't believe the false gospels. Second, we must preach Christ because his gospel grants true freedom. His gospel grants true freedom as we very well know, men get in deep trouble when they deviate from God's wisdom and seek to establish their own. Adam and Eve did this in the Garden of Eden. They decided God's wisdom and his word were not ultimately ultimate, and they created their own wisdom. Now we live in a world in which humans are separated from God, meaning they live in darkness, following their own man-made wisdom, which only leads to destruction and death, as we are seeing Today, in many places, but God sent forth his son. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. I want to show you something about our Lord that we cannot miss. Colossians chapter 2. This is in page 983 in the Blue Bibles. Colossians chapter 2. I want us to pay attention to these words because the Apostle Paul is going to describe our Lord Jesus to us. And I want us to consider verse 3. Colossians 2 verse 3. In Christ says the apostle, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Notice, please, the comprehensive nature of the language. In Christ are hidden how many treasures? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, not just some. And why did Paul say that? Well, he explains that in the following verse, verse 4. I say this in order that no one may dilute you with plausible arguments. Please take a mental note 
of how Paul is establishing a contrast between the wisdom that is found in Christ versus the wisdom that is found in man. Did you see it? Now follow as I read verses 8 through 10 of Colossians 2. Again, pay attention to the language. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to what? Human, human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. Once again, please notice the contrast the Apostle Paul is establishing here. It is an either or, not a both and. It is either Christ and his wisdom or human wisdom. It is either the light of Christ or the darkness of demons. So what does that mean? Either we understand the world, our lives, our purpose, our identity, our sexuality, our relationships, our vocation, our marriage, our family, and everything else in light of and in submission to Christ or in light of and in submission to human tradition and human ideas which are under demonic influence. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were given a clear-cut choice. Either trust and obey God's word or come up with your own word under the influence of Satan. Today, the choice is the same. It has not changed. Christ or chaos. And that applies to your individual life, to your marriage life, to your family life, and to the social life. It is either Christ or chaos. But Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you are what? You are free indeed. And this is what Christ did in Samaria. He brought freedom. It is clear from the text that Samaria had long been captured by the occult, by dark magic. We don't know to what extent this magic was manipulated by demons but from verse 7 of our text in Acts 8, we know that plenty of people were possessed by demons. Therefore, it is likely Simon was being used by satanic power to keep people, to keep the Samaritans in a state of blindness to God's true power. Does that remind you of someone? Pharaoh. Pharaoh and the Egyptians who were captivated by the arts of their magic doctors. And so too the Samaritans were enthralled by Simon and his magic as we read in verses 9 through 11. They all paid attention to him, says Luke, and they were all amazed by his magic. Samaria was under the grip of demonic influences and forces. But when the Lord Jesus came to Samaria through the preaching of Philip, he came with true power. Notice again the message that Philip preached in verse 12. What did he preach? He preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Philip preached a kingdom with a king. And notice also the contrast. At one time, the Samaritans were amazed by the kingdom of darkness. But Philip preached a much more powerful kingdom with a sovereign king, a king so powerful that just his name caused demons to be cast out. Now, do you see the point? The point is this, Christ has defeated the kingdom of darkness. 
which means that when we preach Christ to the world, darkness must dissipate. It must vanish away. Now, let me tell you why this matters. It still matters because Satan is still deceiving people in the world. For instance, once a year in Guatemala, and right before Christmas, they have a widespread celebration called La Quemada del Diablo. Do you get what that is? Yeah, 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 the the burning of the devil. They literally take devil-like effigies or sculptures, and they literally burn them everywhere, and I've seen it. And why do they do that? To purify the city from bad spirits. What is that? Well, you know what that is, right? That is demon-inspired superstition. Demon-inspired superstition. The irony lies in the fact that the celebration itself is a demonstration of the very satanic influence they want to escape from. If we want less demonic activity, we don't need to burn anything. We need to preach Christ because he's the one with a kingdom. He's the one who is Lord. And when we preach Jesus, we're preaching the power of God to save. Hence the words of Paul in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? The power of God for salvation. Listen, my brothers and sisters and friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of the kingdom, which means this gospel comes with unrivaled authority and with the power to deliver people from darkness. The gospel of the kingdom is about deliverance from darkness, not about remaining in darkness. In our society, the celebration of darkness is very much alive. As Carl Truman said in The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, quote, in the work, and listen to this, very important insight, quote, in the work of the new left, one finds philosophical justification for what are now intuitive commonplaces in our culture, namely that to be free is to be sexually liberated. To be happy is to be affirmed in that liberation, end quote. Let me draw a simple parallel between the work of the new left, as he calls it, and Satanism. Satanism. I've heard the testimony of several so-called Satan worshipers. And there is a common thread among them. They are quick to clarify that Satanic worship is not about worshiping the devil. It is about worshiping yourself. That's Satanism, is the worship of the self. That's what the Satanic religion is all about. For the most part, Satanists themselves see Satanism as a religious expression of the uninhibited self. Satanism is just about empowering yourself to reach your full potential as an autonomous being unbound by any external restraints. This being the case, it would seem to me as though Satanism is the prevailing religion of our day. And as we know, Satanism is anything that seeks to oppose the kingdom of Christ because Satan means what? Someone said it back there. Adversary. Adversary. 
And the only solution, of course, the only weapon is Christ himself preached faithfully and believed unquestionably. Only Jesus can offer true freedom. So I would like to make it personal. My friend, you don't have to live your life under the grip of sin. You don't have to live your life under the grip of sin, whether it is lust, greed, gossip, bitterness, or whatever else it might be. Christ Jesus has come as a man, died as a man, and rose again from the dead as a man to set us free from the bondage of sin. And the invitation is very simple. Repent of your sins and confess him as Lord today. Third reason, we must preach Christ because by his spirit, we are one. We are coming into a section that presents some unique challenges. Let's read verses 14 through 17. Now, when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. The question is, of course, you you probably know the question by now, how could the Samaritans believe in Jesus without receiving the Spirit of Jesus? So I'll give you three anchor points that are important as we enter into these verses. The first anchor is we must avoid one danger, one danger to avoid. Never seek to draw an entire system of theology from just a few verses. Never seek to draw an entire system of theology from just a few verses. In other words, don't come to general conclusions, especially about Christ and the Spirit, without considering the overall teaching of Scripture. Second, we must hold one Trinitarian conviction. One Trinitarian conviction. God is one in three persons. Christ and the Spirit are to be distinguished but never separated. We are not to conclude from these few verses that the Spirit works independently from Christ, for the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. They are not divided. There is an eternal, a perfect union between the second and the third persons of the Trinity. The Son and the Spirit are not the same persons, but they are one in essence, equal in power and glory. Therefore, whatever our understanding of these verses might be, we must not allow ourselves to create a division between Christ and the Holy Spirit. That would be a very serious theological error. Third, you must maintain one critical distinction. One critical distinction. What is this distinction as we enter into these verses? The distinction between the order of salvation and the history of salvation. The order of salvation and the history of salvation. The questions are as follows, and and follow this, this thinking closely. Are verses 14 through 17 describing what happens to every believer in a normative way, meaning the order of salvation, or are they describing something unique that happened to those believers in a descriptive way, which would be the history of 
salvation. If these verses are normative and they describe every believer's experience, then it would be possible for you and I to believe in Christ, have faith in Christ, while at the same time be void of the Spirit's presence. But that would be a serious mistake. Consider 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3 where Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. This is a very dogmatic statement, and it is true at all times. No spirit, no faith in Jesus. Then why did the Samaritans first believe in Christ and then receive the Spirit? Well, because these verses belong to not the order of salvation, but the history of salvation. This simply means that these verses are describing a very unique time in the history of salvation. There's a very particular reason why the Spirit did not fall on these believers at the moment of belief in Christ. What was that reason? It was a historical reason. Remember the deep cultural divide between the Samaritans and the Jews? Well, given this great tension between the Samaritans and the Jews... A special degree of assurance was needed on the part of the Jews to really confirm that these Samaritans also belonged to the faith, that they also had a part in the body of Christ. And so the gift of the Spirit was withheld from them momentarily and only as a historical exception in order to have what? Apostolic confirmation that they were indeed of the faith. Given the centuries of cultural and religious hostilities between Jews and Samaritans, the Jews needed to see with their own eyes and under the umbrella of apostolic authority that the Samaritans were indeed brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, the giving of the Spirit was withheld temporarily and only as a historical exception. But this is not how we come to faith. These verses are descriptive, not prescriptive. We believe because the Spirit has given us life and faith in the Lord Jesus. Apart from the Spirit, there is no true faith. But the point of it all is this. Amazingly, now, Samaritans and Jews, beyond a shadow of a doubt, have reached unity. And the cultural divide has been broken. In Christ, these two ethnic groups who used to hate each other can now love each other in the Lord and only Christ can accomplish that through his blood and the spirit. And we come to the fourth reason why we must preach Christ. Fourth reason, salvation is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. Consider what happened in verse 18. Now when Simon the magician, now when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of hands by the apostles, he offered them what? Money. Now, Christ Jesus is the supreme manifestation, expression of God's grace. And as we proclaim Christ to the world, we must present him as a gift from the Father to the world. John 3.16, you know this verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. It must be of grace from the beginning. And from beginning to end, if it is not of grace, it is not the Christ of Scripture. Why? Here's why. Because the pride, the pride of man must be crushed. And the name 
of Jesus must be exalted. And the pride of man is crushed only as he realizes that apart from salvation coming from above, there is no hope for him from below. Simon the magician made a fatal mistake. He heard the name of Christ and believed, but only because he saw signs. You see, Simon was enamored with power, but not with the giver of the power. And this becomes clear in his evil offer. Let me buy this power from you. Let me buy the Holy Spirit from you. He offered them money in exchange for the Holy Spirit. Whatever you're doing, Peter, I want it. Let me buy it from you. Now, was Simon a true believer or not? I don't believe he was a true convert. And I base this on two things. First, consider Peter's words to him in verse 21. Very condemning words. Your heart is not right before God. Your heart is not right before God. In other words, Peter saw evidence of a counterfeit faith. Simon wanted miraculous power, but he did not want saving grace. The second reason is what Simon responded in verse 24. What did he say to Peter? Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Simon did not himself pray to God, which reveals a severe lack of understanding of the gospel message that tells us that in Christ we have access to God. But those words also reveal that he simply feared the punishment, but there was no true repentance in Simon. But at the end of the day, the real problem with Simon, the severity of his spiritual problem is revealed in his desire to buy the gift of the Spirit. You know why this was a big deal? Because this was an insult upon grace. It was an insult upon grace. For Simon to say to Peter, I want to buy what you have, was an insult on grace. Jesus bought salvation through his blood We cannot buy it. We cannot earn it. And this must be a a lesson for all of us here. If you are within the sound of my voice, take heed of what I'm about to say. Make sure that you don't bring insult upon grace, the grace of God in Christ, by thinking that anything within you can bring about salvation or can make you deserving of God's grace. It is only Christ Jesus. How do you receive the gift of the Spirit as a guarantee that your sins have been forgiven? Only by faith in Christ. You cannot earn it. You cannot deserve it. So don't be like Simon the magician. Don't think that the gift of salvation can be earned. Nothing like that. Only Christ purchased salvation upon the cross. Jesus Christ earned salvation with his blood. So let us not bring insult upon grace by seeking to add to what Christ has already done upon the cross. Your duty, my friend, is simply to believe in his name. Salvation is always all of grace. Now let me leave you with a few lessons that we can learn from this account. I believe very relevant lessons that we can learn as we consider Philip and his preaching to the Samaritans. As we consider our lives in this world, we must preach Christ because the call upon the church has not changed. The call upon the church has not changed. 
Our June Grace verse says from Matthew 28, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commended you. We go and preach the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And we teach them to submit to the lordship of Christ. The call upon the church has not changed. And speaking, speaking of this, consider with me the next reason why we must preach Christ even today. Gospel silence brings social chaos. Gospel silence brings social chaos. This is an important point for us to consider. It is quite impossible to not see the following fact of biblical history. When Christ came to Samaria through the preaching of Philip, Christ changed Samaria. When Christ came to Samaria through the preaching of Philip, Christ changed Samaria. Samaria did not remain the same. What is the tangible proof of this? Well, they renounced their false magic and they followed Christ. They renounced darkness and they followed the light of Jesus. Let me ask you this. Do you think Samaria remained the same after so many of its citizens came to faith in Christ? Do you think that when the Samaritans abandoned their practice of the occult and magic to follow the Lord, this would have affected their individual, their family, and their social life? Undoubtedly, Samaria looked very, very different after Christ came to save them through the preaching of Philip. So let me ask you this relevant question. Does Christ still set people free from darkness? Does he still bring people out of darkness and into the marvelous light? Does the gospel still disperse the darkness of human sin? Does he still do that? Then let me ask you this. Is it possible? That the reason the world is the way it is, is because we have become ashamed of the gospel. Have we subordinated the true gospel of Jesus to other messages? Remember what I said last week, we are just too quiet. Listen to this quote. Christianity may be subordinated to culture. That solution is being favored by a very large and influential portion of the church today. Christianity then becomes a human product, a mere part of human culture. But as such, it is something entirely different from the old Christianity that was based upon a direct revelation from God. Deprived of its node of authority, the gospel is no gospel any longer. It is a check for untold millions, but without the signature at the bottom. So in subordinating Christianity to culture, we have really destroyed Christianity, and what continues to bear the old name is a counterfeit, end quote. This is Machen, a great apologist and theologian who said those words in the year 1913. Consider the next reason. We must preach Christ because... We ourselves are being changed by him. We ourselves are being changed by him. 
what am I, what, what am I trying to say here? Very important for us to remember. In our evangelistic efforts, our missionary zeal, we must not forget the critical importance of personal godliness. We cannot complain about a dying, immoral, uncomfortable world if we ourselves are allowing the power of sin to grip our lives and are not walking in the power of the Spirit of Christ. That is hypocrisy. If you walk by the flesh, the Bible says, you will die. But if you walk by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the flesh. Consider Philip. As one of the seven deacons of the church, Philip is described as a man full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Philip walked in the power of the Spirit, not in the desires of the flesh. Brothers and sisters, if we truly desire the world out there to repent and turn to Christ, let us make sure that we are not indulging, indulging in, the, in the flesh and that our lives were, are not departing from the Word of God. When we say that we preach Christ, we believe in and submit to Christ, who is Lord over every area of our lives. And finally... Let me bring this to a close by bringing you the last reason why we must preach Christ today. Here it is. Three words. He is worthy. He is worthy. If I had one minute left to live and one last chance to convince you to live by faith, to be faithful to Christ and to be bold for your faith, I would just put one question in your head. Is Jesus worthy? What do I mean by that? Let me be more specific. Is Jesus worthy of the praises, the worship, and the adoration of the peoples of the earth. Is the Son of Man, the one whom Stephen saw in his last moments, the one who is at the right hand of the Father, the one predicted by Moses, seen by Isaiah, prophesied by Daniel, is he worthy of all the praises, the adoration, and the worship of the peoples of the earth? The bottom line is, our Christian faith is the conviction that Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and exalted, is worthy of the obedience of the nations, including the obedience of this nation. So let me, let me finish with this. This is from my heart. I want abortion to end, and I want abortion to end now. I want marriage to be between one man and one woman I want these things, but not because I'm a conservative. You know why I want these things? Because Jesus is worthy of repentance and of the faith of the peoples and the adoration of the peoples of all nations. He's worthy. And so this is why we preach Christ and no other message, because Jesus is worthy. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the simple yet important reminder that we must preach Christ. 
that he is indeed King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you for the example we can glean from Philip and the first disciples who went to Samaria. And they went and preached the message of the Lord Jesus, the one who died for our sins and rose again and now is Lord. And we thank you for what we see in Samaria and the freedom you brought. They were brought out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And we thank you for the conviction we have today that the Lord Jesus continues to do the same. And he brings people out of darkness, the darkness of sin, the darkness of immorality, the darkness of greed and hypocrisy and corruption, and he brings them into the light. And so help us, Father, never, never to be ashamed of this gospel and to remember that only Christ has the power to save. And may the glory, the honor, and the praise be his both now and forevermore. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.